Hey everyone, this is George Kroos. Uh, this is actually a special episode of the Innovators Mindset Podcast. I was recently asked to share some thoughts during an online conference about uh, the Innovators Mindset, why it's important, uh, what's the difference between compliance, engagement, and empowerment, and what are some things we could actually do in the higher education system to really embrace our mindset and how what we model um, in innovation is really crucial to helping others move forward. So I hope you enjoy the episode. It's about the same length as the other ones, but hopefully you get some ideas and then I'll, I'll end off with a little challenge at the end. Hey everyone, it's George Kroos. I'm really excited to be able to share some ideas and some thoughts with you. Gabriella actually uh, connected with me and so I appreciate you, first of all, taking your time uh, to listen, to share my ideas, taking your own time to do this. It's really greatly appreciated. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the ideas and concepts in uh, The Innovator's Mindset and my co-authored book, uh, Innovate Inside the Box. Hopefully some of these ideas resonate with you. And so uh, the first question that Gabriella shared with me is to talk about the eight characteristics of The Innovator's Mindset. And I share these ideas. Um, when I was writing the book, The Innovator's Mindset, what I was actually doing was looking at what people were doing to actually create something new and better. And the way that I define innovation is simply that, is creating new and better things. Now it could be iteration, it can be taking an old idea and making it much better, or creating something totally new, invention. And uh, as long as it's better, it has to be innovation. So a lot of times when we talk about the idea of innovation, what we do is we base, basically use the word innovation and technology synonymously. And it's so much more than that. It can be used with technology, but there's something else that, that is really connected with it. There is a quote from a gentleman named Thomas Friedman that really shook my thinking, and I'll, I'll kind of just paraphrase it. He said, the world doesn't care what you know, the world only cares about what you can do with what you know, and it doesn't care how you learned it. And that's kind of the crux of the idea of the innovator's mindset. And so I talk about these eight characteristics and why they're so important. These are uh, the following, reflective, empathetic, problem finders and solvers, risk takers, networked, observant, creators, and resilient. Why I talk about these eight characteristics is these are all ideas about taking information and creating something better with it, even the notion of reflection. If we wanna be really effective at the work that we actually do, what we need to do is look back on it, see what worked, see what didn't, and that reflection piece is so crucial to actually moving forward. That when we look back and understand where things went wrong, what we could do better, and we apply those things moving forward, that's when real innovation can actually happen. So these, these characteristics were modeled in so many educators, teachers, uh, people around the world doing different things. So that's kind of where I came up with these ideas about the eight characteristics and why they were so crucial. But to understand that none of these things works in isolation. So for example, when we talk about the idea of reflection, which I just mentioned, that idea there is the thought that I'm gonna look back to move forward, but that also ties beautifully into the notion of problem finders and solvers. You and Macintosh really uh, clarified this in a really powerful way, talking about that we don't need our students just to solve problems, but we want them actively looking for problems that they can go out and, and that really takes it to a whole different level because problems that I'm interested in solving are more likely to get innovative ideas as opposed to problems that someone else asked me to solve might just kind of get the bare minimum. 
And so I think that if you want to solve problems, if you want to look for problems, uh, reflection is really crucial, uh, being observant is really crucial. So you see how these characteristics all intertwine uh, without, and so that's kind of where I came up with those ideas and that's why I share them throughout the book and I share a lot of examples there. Next question Gabriella asked me was talking about the ideas of compliance, engagement and empowerment. So when we actually think about empowerment, that is kind of the end goal of education, but it doesn't mean that there's no compliance that exists in our world, that engagement is not, is not crucial. And so the easiest way that I explain empowerment to really get people to understand this is that if I actually have a student who is engaged, it doesn't mean they're empowered. But if I empower a student, that definitely means they're engaged. It takes it to a whole different level. And so the reason why empowerment is so crucial to the work that we do is that it gives students ownership. There's more, um, uh, there's more willingness to lead their own path, to connect in, in ways that are meaningful to them. And so it doesn't mean that there's no compliance in education, that there's no, because let's talk, let's be honest, there's compliance in our world. Uh, probably in every country in the world, you have to file taxes and the way that you file taxes are very explicit. There's a process that you have to go through. And so I have to be compliant in that part of my life. But if everything in my life was done the same way that I'd file taxes, it'd be really miserable, life that would seemingly have, to be honest, you no know, purpose. And so what we're trying to do is really take it up to that next level. And so when we think about engagement, that's more what the teacher can do for the student, get them excited about the content. But empowerment's more about helping the student understand what they can do for themselves. And so really some ways that we can think about this, just even simple assigning a reading. Do we assign readings based on what the teacher's interested in, or do we try to help students find uh, works that they're interested in and even at the kindergarten and grade 12 level one of the things that you're actually seeing happen quite a bit is teachers teachers are moving away from the idea of leveled readers because they know that if a student reads <laughs> at a certain level um, if we focus just on the levels they're at they don't see see the same amount of growth that if you actually have students read content they're interested in, even if it's at a higher level than what they're comfortable with, they actually see tr tremendous jumps in growth. And so when we talk about this at the high school or university level, do students actually have ownership over what they're learning and, and what they're connected to? And I think the trick is, the really hard part, this is what I talk a lot about in the Innovative Side of the Box, is the idea that there are constraints, there are certain things that we actually have to uh, connect with and do in our in our profession and our work there's certain curriculum we might have to actually cover but there's still ways we can do give ownership and one of the examples i often give is the idea that you know if i have a student who's really interested um, in becoming a youtuber doing videos etc things like that can i actually have them explain the their learning their ideas through creating a youtube video as opposed to you have to teach me this thing in this way so sometimes when we actually go through that process where students are, we have to teach them certain content, how they deliver the content, how they share the information is part of the empowerment. And so there's so many other skills that are taught through that process. And so I think that when you look at how do I empower my students, it's how do I actually give them ownership over the process? How do I actually tap into some of the things that they're really passionate about? And I share this image called, um, or the, these five questions you can ask your students to <clears throat> um, start the school year. 
And there are things like, what are you passionate about? What's a problem you want to solve? And there's some other questions and uh, you can probably see the image right here. And if you see this image, do you know these things about your students and do you actually tap into them? so that you can actually bring out the best. So yeah, we sometimes we have to follow certain aspects of what we have to learn, but really helping students find ownership over the process can really lead to empowering learning that not only helps them become better students currently, but actually helps them become learners after the fact. And that's ultimately the goal of, of the work that we're trying to do. So when we talk about this idea of embracing an open culture, and Gabriella asked me like, how do we actually embrace this, this notion of an open culture that we actually help our educators connect with other people around the world, even though it's gonna take extra time to do this. I, I think what I've seen a lot in education is that we will have our own experience where we see these incredible learning opportunities that we connect with people over the world. You know, I, you know opportunities like this right now where you, know, you are sharing, connecting with someone you might not know, um, probably in a, a different country, and we see some value to this. And so we go back and we share, you know, how excited we are about this process, but then we expect people to do this on their own time. So one of the things that I really have tried to do in my work is how do we actually create time to actively connect and learn with people over the world in professional learning time where we're doing this. So just something simple. We would actually, uh, in my staff meetings, we would, we would have people share ideas through video and then they tweet them out and all of a sudden they're getting responses from people over the world. But we actually made time for that in our face-to-face -face time where people were actually connecting and learning. And so the hope was that they would see the value in the time that was provided and then they'd see it so valuable that then they would actually find some of their own purpose and, and own ways to connect and share their learning after the fact. So if this is something that's really important to you you know, as a faculty, uh, as an administrator, as an educator, how do you actually build that time in to the work that you're doing face-to-face uh, -face where people see the value or you're just expecting people to figure it out on their own? And I think that's, that's one of the ways that we've tried to do that in the past. The next question Gabriella asked me is like, how do we create a culture of innovation at the university level? And I think really innovation is a very human endeavor. And when we look at it, we often think of innovation as something that you know, our organizations can do or someone else will do for us. But really, it's how we, you know, specifically on our own, create these innovative opportunities. And many of the ideas that I've shared in this video, there are things that you could actually do on your own, but they might not be able to do them exactly the way I've said it, but that's part of the understanding of our work is that everyone's context, everyone's situation is different. But that doesn't mean we can't be innovative in our practice. So, for example, you, you have a, something that you've been teaching for years in your work. Can you specifically look at uh, a different way of teaching it that is, you know, focuses more on empowerment, builds in some of those characteristics of the innovator's mindset uh, that we talked about, and then share those ideas with others? And I think that when we talk about innovation, this isn't something we should only expect of others, but we should model ourselves. And so when you actually create those opportunities that are really powerful, that really empower students to learn in a way that goes much more, it goes way beyond the classroom, I think what we have to do is actually learn how to connect these ideas and share them with others and really model that, that innovative thinking 
and where becomes the norm uh, in what we do. And not only share the successes, but where things went wrong, how you redirected, so that people see you taking risk in your learning, that this is not easy. Because a lot of times we, we tend to only share a success. And what happens is when we share that success, people think it's just easy for us, as opposed to that here's the resilience you had to deal with, here's where things went wrong, here's how I redirected it, here's how I actually changed the path. And not only is that really sharing an innovator's mindset, it's really showing the process of learning, which is education is all about. It's what we expect of our students, but do we model it ourselves? So the last question, Gabriella asked me to discuss this idea of school versus learning. And so this image that I talked about, or I actually uh, shared, I talked about the idea of school versus learning. And so, for example, school uh, is more about, you know, looking for answers. It is more about consumption, whereas learning is more about starting with questions and creation. And I wanted to use um, these points and, and this image as a conversational piece. I don't believe that school should only be about questions, because if we don't find answers to our questions, then you know we don't really end up moving forward. If we only create without consumption, it's not really meaningful. John Medina, author of the of Brain Rules, he made a really good analogy. He said, um, "Consumption or creation without consumption is the equivalent of playing the air guitar. We we might know the motions, but we don't know how to actually do it. So what I think that we have to do is that we have to ensure that." It's not that it's one or the other, but how are we actually meshing the two? How do we actually have meaningful consumption with meaningful creation? And how do we actually embed that in education? And so I think the, the image and why it was so important was because we wanted to actually have the conversation. So for example, I, I read a statistic, I have no idea the accuracy of it, but it's a really good conversation point that basically 95% of the internet, people on the internet, are consumers and only 5% are creators. And so I don't know the accuracy of that, of that statistic. I don't know where it came from, to be honest with you. But think about in the context of, of school. How much do we actually have students who <clears throat> consume information and what does that look like in school and how many of them are creating it? So do your students use things like Wikipedia to find information and, and to garner ideas or do they actually contribute to Wikipedia articles? Do they actually share some information and contribute to it? And so I think that when we talk about these ideas, when we share these thoughts, it's not about separating one from the other, it's kind of where are we in the middle? Where are we in the middle that we're giving kids really, you know, our students really powerful uh, skills, but they're, you know, going back to the, the quote in the, in the first question, how are we actually getting them to do something with this knowledge? And I think that's where we have this conversation. Anyways, just want to share some thoughts with you. Gabriella, thanks for asking me to have this. Uh, to share some ideas with you. I'd love to hear from you. Connect with me on Twitter at G Caros or Instagram. I'd love to hear some of your thoughts. But thanks for taking your time to watch this. I hope you have a wonderful day. Take care. I hope you get some good ideas from the episode. And one of the things I'm going to challenge you to do is we talk about innovation and often we wait for someone else to do this for us. But I know that many people listening to this right now are doing some really amazing, innovative things. So what I'm going to challenge you to do is share some of those things that you're doing in your classroom, not to brag, but to share, because we're all here to help kids and sharing really elevates the profession. So share it through a blog, a podcast, video. Uh, you can share it with me if you want through Instagram or Twitter, G Cross. I'd love to hear that because I think that 
When we look at ourselves, how we can inspire others, that's where we can make a huge change in education. Thanks for taking time to listen. I hope you have a wonderful week. Thank you. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Tell me, mirror, what is wrong? Can it be my daylight clothes or is it just my daylight song? What I do ain't make believe. People say I sit and try, but when it comes to being daylight, it's just me, myself.